All right. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another V Brown Bag. Uh, continuing our series with a lot of the AWS community heroes. Today, we are going to back, talk about the serverless uh, mindset, courtesy of our pre presenter tonight, Matt Morgan. Uh, before we get on to the presentation, though, just a few housekeeping notes. Uh, if you're joining us for the first time live, please engage with us tonight. Uh, you can use the Q&A or the chat here in Zoom. I'm going to request people use the Q&A if they have questions, that would be great. Um, but if you end up using the chat, uh, you know, it happens. It's, it's all right. Um, also, you can also make sure to just, you know, engage with us on Twitter. You can use the hashtag VBrownBag today. If you've got something uh, clever to say that you want the world to know about, you can do that. I will be monitoring the hashtag on Twitter, hashtag VBrownBag. Uh, and you can ask your questions, make your comments there as well. well. We'll make sure to bring them up during the broadcast tonight. If you're watching this after the fact on YouTube, however, um, you know, make sure that you check us out live. We have shows in multiple time zones for multiple regions and multiple languages even. Uh, this is the US show. We do it every Wednesday at 7.30 Central, 8.30 PM Eastern on Wednesdays. Uh, but we have other shows in other languages. So be sure to check those out on our website, uh, vbrownbag.com slash brownbags. Uh, those of you joining us live, if you didn't know that we have this uh, series on YouTube as well, be sure to check it out. We have tons of past videos on just about everything from cloud to VMware to serverless like tonight, Python, Kubernetes, you name it. Uh, if you have something interesting to share that you'd like to share with the community, you may, maybe we've done it before, but it could use an update or we haven't and you think it's worthy of being on our channel to share with the community, please reach out. You can reach out to me. I'm Ken Nalbone on, on Twitter. At Ken Nalbone, doesn't have the space like the PowerPoint says, that's my mistake, typo. But uh, my DMs are open or you can just DM the V Brownbag account at V Brownbag on Twitter. Uh, but that's about it. I'm going to pass it over to you now, Matt. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right, cool. I'm going to click stop share and let you take over. Uh, okay. I'm going to turn off my video so people don't have to stare at my face anymore, but take it away. Okay. All right. So now you should be seeing my share. We do. Um, but my presenter notes went away. That's a bummer. Let me just try to fix that real quick. All right. All right, now you should see my share with me seeing the presenter notes, right? I do not see presenter notes, but I do see your, your serverless mindset title screen. That was indeed my intent. Thank you. Perfect. All right. Thanks a lot, Ken. Uh, this is uh, this is really exciting. Um, I'm super happy to have this opportunity, and um, this is a new talk. Uh, I've been working on it and sweating over it for the last three weeks. So I guess let's see how it goes. Uh, I think we'll uh, pause for questions a few times. I would really appreciate your questions and to interact with you, uh, not just now, but in the future. That's why I put my Twitter handle there, which is a little bit weird. It's, called, it's at Nelish Um Don't worry about that. I'm going to share my website too, and you'll be able to find me. Uh, I work as a director of software engineering at PowerSchool. Uh, PowerSchool is a, a, a company with a whole ton of different products, uh, many different technologies. Um, but in my group there, and in, in a few others, we really love serverless, and um, you know, and that's that's uh, why I kind of wanted to talk about this and, and uh, share some of the things that we've learned so far. Uh, also, we're hiring in the in the U.S. and India. So if you like the topics on this show, um, then. You, you may be interested in what we have to offer. All right, um, so uh, I named this talk the serverless mindset, um, which isn't my unique idea. Uh, it's actually something that, that's been talked about a lot, but I just really had this on my mind when, uh, you know, when, I, when I signed up to give this talk and, and I, I thought it was like a really interesting topic to me. It's a little bit less of a, direct technical topic where I'm going to show a bunch of code, although I'm going to show a little bit of code. Uh, it's a little bit more conceptual, like uh, what are the things that make people love serverless and, and be successful in that world? I'm not going to try to exactly to define serverless. Uh, it's, I, I think that some other people have done an okay job at that, and it's kind of all constantly evolving. Uh, I may take a swing at it. Uh, if you're really confused about what I'm presenting here, um, then, then maybe I do need to back up and, and try to provide that. So I'd appreciate that feedback. But um, yeah, I'm going to talk a little bit more about, okay, so here's serverless. How do I approach it? And what's the thought process that, that I think works really well there? Uh, I myself am a relative newcomer to serverless. Lambda celebrated its seventh birthday. It's kind of like uh, AWS Lambda is one of the more important, uh, I guess, 
services out there in the serverless space. It's kind of ubiquitous with the concept of serverless, although it's certainly not the only way to do serverless. Uh, I've only been doing serverless for uh, about two and a half years. Um, uh, but in that time, uh, I, I guess I guess I went really deep. <laughs> uh, you know, um, I work with a lot of different developers, and I really like to uh, to help them to uh, come to and explore serverless. Uh, I've probably introduced it to something like 100 different developers and helped them to uh, appreciate it and become successful in uh, using that technology. And it's it's really a great part of my job, and, and probably probably my favorite thing to do, which is why I'm doing this outside of work hours now. Um, I'm going to talk mostly about AWS serverless in this talk. Uh, that's not because I'm telling you to use AWS over other clouds. Other clouds are starting to come out with some really great serverless products too. Uh, the reason that I'm focusing on AWS here is solely because that's the one I know. That's the one I use uh, in my day job. Uh, that's the one I've spent the most time uh, focusing on. And, uh, and so that's the one that I, I'm more or less qualified to talk about. Uh, uh, but I'm not trying to be uh, be prescriptive or to say that that uh, Google Cloud Run is no good or that I'm not interested also in uh, Azure Durable Functions, just to name a few. <clears throat> so, so, yeah, my my motivation in in giving this talk is is that I hope that I'm going to be able to connect with people who uh, are interested in serverless or maybe haven't quite found found their way there yet, and and help them to learn. You know what's what's good about this technology and how can they be successful uh, i also am hopeful that uh some of my friends uh from around the community will either participate here tonight or or watch this later on and give me some feedback about this because i, I think that thinking about serverless as uh what's good about it how do we approach it what is our thought process here now this is this is mine and this is this is based on my experiences and and what I think re works really well. Other people may have some different views and, and we can kind of come together and help to define that serverless developer experience and that service, serverless mindset that uh, that really works for us. All right, so so that's my goal here. Um, just, um, oh yeah, so, so um, my topics. Uh, I got a lot of topics that I'm gonna go through. Uh, the first one I call the platform is a cloud. Uh, code is a liability is, is something that we like to say in serverless. Uh, scaling is horizontal. Uh, we're going to go beyond function as a service. We're going to talk about routing or single for single purpose functions. Uh, I'm going to explore service limits and, and suggest why that might actually be a good thing. Talk about orchestration versus choreography, which is a, 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 an interesting subject in this space. Um, I'm going to talk about why you not, might not want to bring your own network when you're in serverless. I'm going to go over IAM. Talk about item potency in serverless, pay for request, and why we want to scale to zero, how to test serverless applications, what the serverless developer experience might be like, and how to get started in serverless. And then finally, serverless gets better at, with time, and that's why we're so excited about serverless. Okay, so that's a ton of content. Uh, I hope we can get through all of it. I'm going to go kind of fast in order to see if we can do it. All right, here we go. So me, uh, my name is Matt Morgan. Uh, I live right now in Maryland in the USA with my wife and daughter and two cats, uh, but I grew up in northern Minnesota. I really like games, all kinds of games. Uh, when I'm not working, I spend time playing games, mostly with my daughter and my friends. Uh, I also like kickboxing and I play the guitar. Uh, that is not a picture of my guitar, but I have one just like it. I was too lazy to snap my own, sorry. Uh, a little bit about my tech journey. We're going to go really quickly here. Um, I kind of got started writing uh, applications way back in 1999. I used Cold Fusion at that time, uh, which um, some people sneer at Cold Fusion in this day and age. Uh, all I have to say is that I, I learned how to protect against SQL injection attacks right away. So uh, I thought that was a, a, a pretty good thing to to start off my career and, and carry forward. Not because I get, not because I had a problem. Anyway, <laughs> I, I mentioned this because I had a non-traditional background. Uh, I didn't have a CS degree. I didn't have any prior training to this. And I sort of just got a job because, because it was the dot-com bubble and everyone could get jobs. And uh, I like to call that out because people that interact with me today don't necessarily know that about me. Uh, but I really think that um, 
all kinds of different developers need to embrace people with non-traditional backgrounds. I think I think people with traditional backgrounds, of course, can also be really excellent. But people with non-traditional back backgrounds really bring a lot into tech, uh, and uh, and so I always want to support them. Okay, so really quickly, I got into Java a little bit later. Uh, started using some UI frameworks. Um, mostly hated them, but you know we 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 got by. Uh, I started getting into Node.js in the early years, and uh, I was really interested in that ecosystem and, and uh, what makes that go. And then I started getting into TypeScript um, because I wanted to level up my JavaScript and take it to the next level. And of course, I worked with a ton of different database and, and, and storage uh, technologies in those years. Uh, speaking of TypeScript, I uh, co-authored a book on TypeScript uh, that came out last August. Uh, I also do a ton of writing on different blogs and things like that, uh, mostly in dev community, but I've also contributed to 100 Days of Cloud and Free Code Camp. All of that is available at my website. Now I named my website a little bit better than I named my Twitter handler. handler. Uh, and my website is mattmorgan.cloud. So if you go there, uh, all my stuff will be collected uh, when this talk is posted on YouTube as a video. I'll also link it there. I will link my slides there and everything. Um, so I, I just like to, to keep all my stuff in one place, and that is the place. Uh, so really quickly, again, my, my cloud journey, um, you know, when, when I started in tech, uh, the web server for my cold fusion application was on my desk next to my workstation. Uh, we leveled up a little bit after that, uh, started putting servers uh, in a closet down the hall. And then we started using data centers, of course. Now, this is, this is heavy data center time. Everyone was in data centers in those days. Uh, and, um, and, and toward the end of that, we started discovering platform as a service. Uh, I used a, a, a past uh, product called Joyent for a little bit uh, and started liking that as opposed to you know, um, having to uh, manage and run all the infrastructure uh, on my team. In 2017, I had the opportunity to do a data center migration into AWS, and I've been pretty much uh, focused on cloud technologies since then. Uh, I'm also an AWS Community Builder. Uh, the AWS Community Builder program is a, a pretty awesome community of people. Uh, it, is, it is not um, something that you can uh, join at any time, but there are uh, twice a year there is a sign-up opportunity uh, it's not currently open, but there'll be another one in the fall uh, where um, anyone can put in an application and uh, try to join the Community Builders program. Um, so I joined back in 2020, uh, made a lot of friends there. And uh, the highlight of my experience so far uh, in that um, program is, is attending reInvent just last December, where uh, a bunch of us gave some dev chats and uh, uh, anyway, it was, it was really cool. I got to meet people in person in the middle of a pandemic, and it uh, made made things great. Um, we just started doing a whole bunch of new projects and talking about like how can we contribute more to this to the uh, community. So 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 stay tuned. Watch the AWS Community Builders. Shout out to my friends there, and uh, there's a lot more great things to come. Uh, okay, last journey slide. I promise. Um, I actually started using serverless technologies back in, in 2012, although I didn't know it, when I uh, started using an S3 bucket for object storage in order to uh, store uh, some uploaded content to a CMS. Uh, I was totally blown away. I didn't have to manage a file system in order to do this. Uh, it's an amazing technology. Uh, a little bit later, I didn't uh, ever really use this professionally, but I started experimenting with Firebase from Google. Uh, I, I, to this day, I really love Firebase. I think it's an awesome technology. It's a great place to start if you are. This is this is like kind of my only aside from AWS, my only real experience with a non-AWS serverless technology. Firebase is really cool. Uh, it's basically a database in the cloud that uh, has some uh, authorization capabilities, a lot of other features, and it, it lets lets you build uh, a pretty cool serverless application very quickly. In 2019. Uh, I was not yet really using serverless very much, uh, but a colleague at work wanted to solve a problem using AWS step functions. And uh, so we, we gave it a shot. Uh, we implemented a workflow using AWS step function. It was so good that I just, I never looked back. I just like, give me all the AWS technologies. Give me all the serverless technologies going forward. All right, so we're finally into the real talk. And the, my first topic here 
is the platform is the cloud, which is my way of thinking about this, about a way that serverless developers have a different expectation from, uh, from some developers in some other uh, technologies. All right, I'm not, I'm not trying to generalize. There may be other people that, that uh, see technology in the same way, but my experience uh, when working on servers like EC2, which I certainly have done, a lot of the time, uh, the first step in terms of building out an application is you've got an infrastructure team that is going to build the platform. They'll have some sort of uh, manifest, some sort of infrastructure as code. It might be CloudFormation, might be Terraform, something like that. Hopefully, they're using something good like that. Uh, and they're going to provision the infrastructure. They're going to create your, your load balancers. They're going to create your instances. They're going to create your uh, RDS, maybe some scaling groups, You know, whatever it is you need to build your application. And then later, the dev team is going to come and they're going to deploy the application on top of that platform that was built by the infrastructure team. And it could be the same same people if you're if you're a really small company, but if you're of really any significant size, it's usually different groups that will do this. So the dev team, uh, both these teams probably use some sort of pipeline to deploy, but it could be totally different technologies that are, that are behind this, uh, and and often the two groups don't understand each other's technologies super well which is you know maybe okay because these things are co complex and we need to control our cognitive loads uh, but sometimes that causes problems just because they just just because people don't understand everything that their that their application is running on in the serverless mindset now this one is pretty universal in my experience uh it the expectation is that there is a single manifest or a single uh description or uh, declarative statement that says this is the whole application this is everything all right so this is what i have on the screen here this is a simplified uh sam template sam is uh, uh this serverless application model from aws um and this is a sam template i cut out some of the bits in order to uh uh make sure that it fit on the screen but i, I want to highlight what does this sam template template do so, so first of all uh, we can take a, a totally blank AWS account that has nothing running in it at all, is not pre-provisioned in any way, no networking, nothing, 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 and, and we can use the SAM template to deploy a serverless application into, into that account. So, uh, for example, here, this line is going to provision the Lambda instances that will be used to, to run the application, to run the, the compute, compute part of the, the application. Here, we're gonna provision a DynamoDB table. So that's gonna be the database for the application. Right here, we're, we're creating an IAM policy that is gonna allow this function to read from the table. Uh, right here, we're gonna create an API gateway. That's gonna be the way that, that the um, uh, traffic from the internet is gonna be able to reach the application. Uh, this is routing. So this is this is being built. Like, how does how does the API gateway route to the application? This is how. If the path is slash hello and it, the HTTP uh, method is get, then it will reach this function. Otherwise, it's going to give you some kind of error. Uh, and then finally, right here. Now that's not obviously the um, the function code, but it's a pointer to the function code. And when the SAM tape template is executed, it's going to bundle up that function code. It's going to put it in a zip file. It's going to upload it, and then it's going to make that part of the application. So it's all one step. Uh, that's the point: is that one developer can write this SAM template, uh, can write the the um, uh, the code that gets executed in Lambda, and and deploy the whole thing all in one step. So that so that's why I say the platform is the cloud. So the all we need to start is the cloud. Now that there are uh, no end of exceptions to that idea. Uh, often, if you're in a, in a largest company, you will uh, do some sort of pre-provisioning. You might have uh, like special roles or permission boundaries, or you might have to uh, do a CDK bootstrap if, if you're using that technology. So it's, it's, it's not perfectly clean, but it's pretty clean. I mean, it's, it, uh, the, the point here is, th is that the, the team that owns this template basically understands everything that they're building. Okay, so that's, again, in my opinion, that's the serverless mindset. All right, next next topic, uh, unless, unless somebody wants to shout out a, a question for that one, uh, I'm gonna keep moving. 
Uh, so the next topic is code as a liability. I don't know where this comes from originally. I know that that uh, that Matt Coulter said this uh, on the stage at reInvent 2021. I know that uh, Jeremy Daly says this in almost every single one of his podcasts. Uh, but I don't know where this comes from originally. But I think that this is also key to the serverless mindset. So um, I'm going to show probably no end of examples that I could show this but let's say we've got some sort of, some sort of processing right so we've got a function that's going to go and get all the, the the jobs that we need to process then we've got a loop that's going over them we're abstracting away the actual work here we're just going to wait for it to be done uh and then we've got some kind of exception handler that's going to put all that back together now if you think about that job being somewhat complex and having multiple places that it could fail the implementation Never mind the implementation of the job. The implementation of pick up the pieces could start to get pretty hairy. Like, uh, you know, what happens? Uh, what happens if um, uh, if if this is being executed on on an EC2 instance and it goes out of memory and it crashes or something like that? How do we know where we where we landed in in the job? Uh, what happens if there's a scaling event and another instance picks up the same job and now it's being run twice? What happens if we have some sort of race condition? Uh, where uh, the system has a difficulty determining whether or not uh, you know the, the job is complete or not. What if there's a database outage in the middle of this? Uh, how do we recover from that? What if we get a row lock and and suddenly uh, uh, you know we're, we're not not able to process anymore and the jobs just start piling up? Now all of these things have solutions that you could implement and we could write a, a bunch of code to do that and and we could maybe do that successfully, but. In the serverless mindset, you don't want to spend your time uh, writing those kinds of things. All right, I jumped ahead just a little bit too fast there. Um, <clears throat> writing all this custom code for for uh, uh, managing job state or for for tracking uh, a workflow or you know something like that. If your product is a workflow engine, then you should do that. You should spend your time writing that kind of stuff. But in the likely event your product isn't a workflow engine, you really better off if you can offload that in some way. So this is an example of uh, AWS Step Functions, which is probably my favorite service to work with. Uh, and so, so AWS Step Functions is state machine as a, as a service. And so I'm sort of using this diagram, which, which I actually built in the AWS console, to show kind of the same application, but, but how, how um, error handling and, and things like that might happen. So here I've got. Uh, um, uh, a Lambda function that that goes and does the work. Um, you know, I think often we might implement that in multiple functions. I, I can show that what that looks like in just a second. Uh, if that fails, uh, there's uh, a little bit of logic there that that determines whether or not we should retry it or not, uh, and then it can automatically retry. Now I put this in the diagram to kind of demonstrate what that looks like, but actually. This happens automatically. It happens automatically in a lot of different places. I'm, I'm going to talk a little bit later about what the implications of that are. But you can see that, okay, so so you know, we, we just acknowledge there's a lot of learning that would have to go in to, to be successful with a technology like this if you haven't used it before. And I, I certainly went through that. I had to learn how to uh step functions, sub functions run off something called ASL, which is not American Sign Language. It's it's uh, I can't remember what it stands for actually, but uh, that's uh, that's the uh, AWS state language, I think. Yeah, something like that. Um, you know, it's it it is a fair amount of to learn, but it offloads so much complexity from you, and now you can just focus on writing the application logic, the thing the cloud can't do for you because it doesn't understand what your job is. That's the part that you need to work on. You don't need to work on uh, on retries and all this. The other thing to mention here is, is that uh, I'm showing here a map state. In my prior example, uh, we were basically executing a job and then picking the next job and then executing that one. This one would work in parallel. So this means this is this is a fan out. Uh, it's, it's pretty cool ability. You don't have to write very much code to do something successfully like this. Now we could have done that in the other one. But we have to then worry about if it's running on an instance, like how how wide can we go and, and, and those kinds of things. Now, I'll get into service limits in just a second, because uh, we do have some of the same concerns here. But the point I'm making is that it, serverless developers really tend to prefer this and, and uh, want to go for this kind of mindset. So I'm going to just go for, um, oh, I forgot I had some notes. Oops. Um, all right, so this is, uh, this is another uh, diagram that I put together. 
this closely resembles uh, an application that I actually worked on. And the problem that we had to solve was that we had uh, an unknown number of, in this case, I'm saying customers, it was something else. And uh, for each one of those, we had to query two different databases and make an API call to get all the data to stitch it together and then render a template. And that template might get printed as a PDF or, or we might do something else with it. And we, we needed to do this at any scale, right? That's a pretty complicated job, especially, especially if you're gonna write that as one process. You just imagine what, you know, what, what that would look like if you're just writing that as a single loop, uh, it could get really quite hairy. Um, but we, uh, we used step functions to implement that. And, uh, you know, it, it was challenging because this is a challenging workflow. But now it runs really, really well, and uh, and it, it, it's a great experience. All right, so those are the steps. That's what the application is attempting to do. I, I want to talk about scaling. I want to pivot just a little bit, unless anyone has a question about that. Doesn't look like it. Okay, so let's talk about scaling. Um, so um, one question that people often ask when they're new to serverless is, how do I get a Lambda function execution to last longer than 15 minutes? And And the answer is, is currently today, you cannot. Uh, Google Cloud Run just extended their uh, uh, time limit from nine minutes to 60 minutes. So maybe AWS will say, well, actually, yeah, we should go for an hour or two. Maybe they will, maybe they won't. I, I really don't know. I don't have an inside track on that. Um, but right now, the, the function, when, when it's invoked, it will automatically be cut off at whatever the time limit on the function is set to but you cannot make that time limit longer than 15 minutes today. So it just, it just stops. It's, it stops, it returns, it says, sorry, I timed out. You, you don't get whatever it was you were trying to do. Now, the serverless mindset, most people that I've encountered, and, and I know that someone's gonna yell at me for saying this, uh, we don't care about this, generally. We generally don't care to try to make a Lambda function last longer than 15 minutes. I, struggled with this briefly when we first started and, and someone on my team was 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 trying to run something that was you know like sometimes it lasted 10 minutes and sometimes it lasted a little longer and i i said we need to break this down we need to make the, the functions smaller and uh and make sure that that we're not even bumping up against the limit and and that that isn't a, really a problem and, and now over two years you know it, it just really hasn't been a problem so so how do we scale we scale by distributing workloads. We scale horizontally. Uh, we, we scale by going wide. We, we scale by breaking things down into small units and then running them in parallel. Uh, and I just, I just showed you with a, a step functions uh, map state how easy that can be. Uh, we also scale by implementing asynchronous messaging. So I'll get into a little bit more uh, a little bit later here, but uh, using, using technologies like uh, SQS, Simple Queue Service, or, or um, uh, EventBridge, um, instead of saying, well, I just have to run this process until it's done, you say, I'm going to register an event and I'm going to send it and something else is going to pick it up and it's going to process that. And then some, at some point, some later point, uh, the job is marked complete. If you start making things asynchronous and eventually consistent, and this is a really interesting thing that, I, that it, even before I got into serverless, I always wanted to push things in that direction because you if you try to make everything synchronous, if you try to do very complicated things like, you know, like how many payment systems are implemented where they're completely synchronous and, and the money, you know, you click pay and the money is actually transferred, you know, before the web page refreshes and tells you that it was that it was successful. I don't think any of them do, right? Uh, because they know that that's complicated and can fail, and and they and they try to um, manage that asynchronously. I think about the same thing, like almost any time I do something that, that seems a little complicated or might run long, let's make it asynchronous. And serverless is a great fit for that. Uh, serverless gives you lots of tools to start making things asynchronous. And once you do that, you no longer have to worry about time limits all the time. It makes, makes uh, life a lot easier. You can also throttle. You can say, uh, you know, oh man, like all these people click the button at the same time. If you just, if the, effective clicking the button is simply that you're registering an event you just i'm just firing off an event and and then that goes into some sort of queuing system or or it goes across event bridge 
you know, the processing of those later on can be throttled. And, and you can avoid having your system get overloaded because, you know, because something exciting went on sale or, or something like that. This is how to scale in serverless. And, uh, and I think it's awesome. I think it's really fun to do things that way. Another thing, if you, if you have to go really big, you know, you might think about multi-region. Uh, AWS has lots of, uh, most of the cloud providers uh, support multiple regions. It's pretty complex to do that. So I wouldn't just do that without uh having a good reason to but you also also go to the edge like this is uh something that's actually pretty common um when it comes to static sites uh is um you know back in the day we used to like run nginx or something like that on a web server and it could get pretty slow if uh if it was taking a lot of traffic but but today we use some kind of cdn like uh cloudfront or cloudflare uh, you can actually run compute at at the edge cloudflare has a can't remember what the product is called, but they, but there there's uh, actual function execution and and um, you know so running code at the edge uh, can can get you just massive scale because because these are global CDNs and everybody's got a local copy. You don't get all kinds of latency. Um, databases get a little tricky. I'll, I'll, I'll admit that, but uh, there's really quite a lot you can do there. And and even if you're just offloading, you know, like get rid of that nginx server and use it use a, a CDN for your for your uh, web assets, you're gonna you're gonna offload a lot of uh, a lot of your load, and you're going to be able to scale much greater. Uh, so, I, so I also wanted to mention elastic versus versus scalable. Of course, we want to be scalable in whatever uh, system we're working in. Uh, serverless resources are elastic, which means that they bounce back, right? So, so if you uh, are using Lambda, and you have a huge number of executions, and then those executions are done. Those lambda instances just go away automatically. I mean, you don't pay for them, and they they just they're just gone. Uh, it's true you you may be aware that after an execution, a lambda function will hang around for a little while and, and be ready for another request. But you don't pay for that if that request never comes. And and that's what serverless developers love about this kind of thing is that even if you go really big, uh, you might uh, be aware that uh, serverless compute tends to cost more per second or per millisecond, uh, but those resources go away so quickly and, and you just don't have to pay for them after uh, the job has been done. So elasticity is really cool here. Um, all right, I wanna to touch on, um, uh, again, I, I know I've been talking for half an hour now, so um, I don't see any questions. So I'll, I'll keep plowing through and we'll, maybe we'll do the, the Q and A at the end. Um, so function as a service, um, it's often talked about in the context of serverless. Uh, I'm not setting out here to define serverless. And if you're using function as a serverless and you tell me that you're being serverless, that's fine. I'm, I'm not here to tell you that that isn't serverless. Uh, but I'm saying that, that, uh, that, uh, that serverless goes beyond that. So um, you know, th there's, there's a lot more that serverless has to offer here. Uh, and it, it, just in terms of all the different native services. So, um, <clears throat> so I was already uh, obviously talking about step functions. Uh, you know, step functions will execute Lambda functions, but they will also do all kinds of service integrations. There's a lot of other things that you can do uh, that, uh, you know, that, that get you out of that code that uh, where you uh, don't have to have uh, your, your code be a liability for you, but instead can take advantage of, of native services. Um, Here's a few examples. There's not nearly as many examples here as, as I could put together, but but things that uh, will take advantage of native services uh, and get you out of having the right code or function as a service. So like token author, authorizers are a pretty cool part of API Gateway. Uh, you can uh, instruct API Gateway to automatically validate a JSON web token. Uh, and, and in doing so, uh, you don't have to write any code, just a little bit of configuration. And uh, and further, uh, you um, uh, don't pay anything for the execution. So obviously, there's servers and serverless, right? Uh, something in the background is 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 running a process that goes and does that token validation. Well, you don't pay for those for that compute that's doing that. That's part of the service, and it's and it's free in this case. You pay for the for the API gateway execution, uh, but you do not pay for the for for, for the authorizer. 
Um, step functions, all right, maybe you've heard enough about step functions already. API gateway validation is another one that I really like. I, I think it's probably a little bit underutilized, but uh, you can actually um, uh, put models in an API gateway and, and say, I expect my data to take this form and, and then return a 400 uh, uh, error if, uh, uh, if a request doesn't match that. Again, that's outside of your code and uh, you don't pay anything for the, for the compute. There's obviously AWS is running compute to do that, uh, but you don't have to pay for that, which is uh, really quite good. Uh, DynamoDB has a, a, a time to live attribute that you can set and you can just say, uh, you know, <clears throat> I want you to, to, to live until around this date, it's not exact, uh, and, and then it will automatically delete that data for you if, if you want to have ephemeral data for some reason. Again, don't have to write code to do that. It's pretty cool. Um, obviously, queuing, uh, I think a, a lot of people have queuing in, in, in their uh, applications. I have seen handwritten uh, custom queues built on top of databases, and I strongly recommend Again, unless that's your product, unless that's what's making you rich, don't do that. <laughs> use use uh, you don't have to use SQS. You could use RabbitMQ or or, or uh, something else. Uh, <clears throat> but if if you require queuing, you know you want to use that as a service. Event filtering is a new feature uh, for for Lambda, where um, uh, prior to event filtering uh, being available, uh, when you, when you uh, invoked a Lambda function off an event, you would have to then inside the Lambda function say, is this the event I wanted? Do I, do I take the action here or, or should I just exit or should I throw an error or something like that? Event filtering says that you can filter the event attributes or the shape of the event before the Lambda function is executed. And again, you're saving money here because it, if you say this, this isn't the, the event I'm looking for, then, then the function's not executed. Uh, so so um, last fall, I think it was uh, Step Functions announced 200 new service integrations. So you can start to write functionless code. So you can say my my uh, my state machine knows how to call the API gateway. It can put an event on Event Bridge. It can read from S3. All these different things. And uh, a few of us have experimented with that a little bit. And some people have done some kind of cool things. It's not totally something that you, I think that you're ready to run off with, but, but there are um, some interesting possibilities there in terms of writing functionless code. So, so that there isn't actually any custom compute at all. But again, if, uh, if there's no execution, if you're not running a function, then you're not paying for the compute. Uh, it still gets computed somewhere, but, uh, but not on your bill. All right, um, I wanna go into single purpose functions real quick here. Uh, so this is a this is a, a typical kind of setup for microservices where you've got some sort of internet gateway or or something like that, and uh, you are uh, you got a path um, a path for customers, a path for orders, and then inside those applications, uh, you're looking at the HTTP method and the path, and, and maybe some path parameters or some query parameters, and based on that, you're going to route to some something inside of your application, right? So this is this is super typical right here. We've got two different um, Web services that are that are um, that are taking traffic. Our our gateway in this case is doing some high level routing. It's saying, okay, customers go to customer service, orders go to the order service, right? But it doesn't do anything more fine grained than that. This is kind of a typical setup uh, for uh, this kind of architecture. In serverless, you can do something like this. Now, this is not universal. Not everyone does things this way. You can sort of do serverless in the same way uh, I just showed the last. Uh, diagram where uh, where you've got one function handler that that kind of serves as a microservice and, and uh, will will take all the different uh, kind of CRUD operations or whatever whatever else you have there, uh, but you can also do this and and actually I like to do this which is single purpose functions that means that the API gateway is saying I'm going to bind uh, this path get customers ID and, and it's going to call this function called get customer by ID. Uh, in the, inside the function, we can we can grab that path parameter and, and then execute the code, and so on and so forth with the other ones. Uh, having having um, for each of the actions that we want to take, uh, there's a specific lambda function that will be the handler for that. So let's just write very small amounts of code, uh, very small functions. We don't have to write the the routing inside of the functions. Obviously, we do have to write the routing, 
in in some sort of uh, infrastructure as code, so that so that 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 might be uh, done in a SAM template or AWS CDK, which is my tool of choice. Um, but it's pretty light work, uh, and uh, and it can help us to to have a very nice, clean, uh, small, single-purpose Lambda functions. All right, let's talk about service limits. This is a good one. So all services have limits. Uh, if you call the service too many times in uh, too short of a period, so maybe a second or whatever, uh, you will start getting uh, errors back. It will say, too many requests, call me back later. Uh, every single AWS service will do this. Uh, I think all the cloud providers will eventually say, whoa, that's too much. Um, you can't call me that often. Uh, and this is sometimes pretty annoying to developers when, when that happens to their applications. But you also have to think about that all systems have limits, right? Uh, just because you uh, custom built your system or you're, you're running your own server doesn't mean now you can have you can serve uh, you know uh, 900 trillion requests per second or something like that, right? You still have a limit. You just don't have a limit that's imposed by your cloud provider. Serverless developers learn these limits. Uh, you, you have to, and you might be annoyed by them. <laughs> uh, sometimes, sometimes you 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 will really. Uh, regret these limits, um, but you have to learn them and you have to uh, architect your application around them and, and understand how, what the limits are. You can't have limit service limits increased sometimes. It sort of depends. I mean, that's that's a, that's another thing that you just sort of have to learn about. Some of them are easily easy to increase. And, and of course, uh, the cloud providers uh, are going to be happy to increase some of them because because they're going to bill you more when you when you use the service more. You may have just heard a train in the background. I live by a train track. Um, okay, but now if we compare these two things, think about it. What is worse for you? If, is it a few customers getting a 429 too many requests response or your system crashing, right? Because, because the great thing about service limits is that the service will almost never crash because uh, you'll never overload it. Uh, and and that's, that's a pretty cool thing. All right, I can see I'm, I'm, I'm pushing the... Uh, uh, my own service limit here, so I'm going to go a little bit faster. Uh, noisy neighbor. Uh, so uh, this is an example of uh, of Lambda functions with a uh, with a service limit of 1,000 total concurrent functions executions here, right? So I've got process orders and notify customers. Notify customers is is being really noisy and is taking all 1,000 uh, of my concurrency, uh, and now I can't process any orders. Serverless developers find ways to fix that. One way is with reserved concurrency, saying uh, notify customers gets 500 uh, of these executions and no more. Extra ones, hopefully um, hopefully we have some queuing or retry system here for notify customers. Hopefully we'd have that for process orders too. But that way we will always have the headroom available for process orders. <clears throat> Another thing I like to do if uh, if things get really noisy is, is I like to put um, my my busy uh, accounts, uh, busy uh, um, workflows in separate AWS accounts. So here, if 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 we're in a multi-account kind of situation, I can have notify customers go completely berserk. Uh, but the but the service limit applies to that AWS account, and uh, my process orders is is just doing just fine. It's in a different account, and, and it has its own service limit. Uh, orchestration versus choreography. Um, a bit over step functions. Uh, step functions is an example of orchestration. Uh, we have a single state machine, so everything's sort of centralized around that. Uh, this is good for a complex workflow inside of a, a bounded context, and it can even be executed synchronously, which is another cool thing. You put an API gateway and uh, get the response back. Just make sure it's fast, other, otherwise your, your end user is going to be annoyed. Um, Event bridge is an example of choreography. It's more distributed. Uh, this is a great uh, use case for crossing service boundaries. Uh, and um, you can connect different services together without having to expose implementation details. Great for uh, big teams and, and for uh, large complex systems. Um, you can also combine these two ideas by, by uh, connecting multiple state machines together uh, with EventBridge or comparable technologies, of course. Uh, networking, all right. Um, so I, I said, please don't bring your own network to serverless. And this is, uh, this is not universal, but a lot of serverless developers don't like to, uh, to, to build networking abstractions on top of 
their AWS account or, or cloud account. Um, sometimes you have to. Sometimes uh, you have, you're running a, a resource that you need to work with inside of uh, some kind of networking abstraction, and, uh, and, and you need to connect your function to that in order to, to call to it. Um, but if you don't need it, most serverless developers will say you shouldn't use it. Uh, traffic between your services are assigned and encrypted. So do you need to actually add additional security to that? I don't know. I'm not your auditor, um, but I, I tend to think not. Um, Lambda, by the way, already runs in an AWS managed VPC and it's not just visible on the internet. But really what, what this all comes down to is, is that the developer experience for serverless developers to interact with these networks is at this time, it's not very good. Uh, that, that's really what bothers us is that it takes a lot of extra work. We have to start thinking about IP tables and and uh, and uh, a lot of other things. Uh, uh, a couple of years back, AWS fixed the the fact that uh, their functions running in a VPC was were very slow. But uh, interacting with VPCs and deploying into them and, and things like that, there can still be a lot of problems with it. Also, uh, managed NAT gateway is uh, very hated by uh, serverless developers because um because it is not serverless and you, you have to pay uh, i can't remember how much monthly for for it no matter what uh all right iam real quick uh so um I, I showed this a little bit earlier uh roles and policies uh for resources to talk to each other are uh, created and managed by developers most of the time when working with serverless uh each piece of uh the, the infrastructure uh, gets a fine-grained role that allows it to to that describes what actions it, it can take. Now, this is, can be annoying to developers sometimes because uh, your your app isn't working and you can't figure out why. Uh, but it's it's actually a pretty good security model anyway, um, and uh, it's it's much better than imagine if uh, we had to manage secrets for all these different things. If we had to say, okay, let's let's generate a secret in Lambda. And then we're going to copy that into API Gateway so that those things can talk to each other. And now we're going to generate a secret in uh, SQS, and we're going to copy and paste that into a Lambda function so that it knows how to, you know, like, uh, trust me, that would be a lot worse. Um, as long as we're talking about security, don't put your keys in GitHub. Uh, if you're on AWS, you should really be using AWS SSO. I never touch a key, and uh, I'm able to get all the access I need. Uh, so real quick, I'm, um, you know, kind of how this works. I showed before this policy that that gives my Lambda function uh, a uh, read uh, access to my DynamoDB table. So here it is again in the SAM template. Uh, when this is executed, we'll end up with something like what is on the right side of this. And you can see that it's it's abstracted, right? So you can write you can write policies that look just like the right side of the screen. Most of the time we don't. Most most of the time we have a, a nice abstraction like this. SAM has good abstractions. Uh, serverless framework has some good abstractions. AWS CDK, in my opinion, has the best abstractions. But all these are good abstractions, and and they keep you out of uh, having to write something that looks like on, on the right side, but does enable developers to uh, to to correctly create the nice fine-grained policies that their applications need. And this is this is a this is a good mix, in my opinion. Uh, let's talk about item potency. So I talked about um, a, a little bit about. Uh, uh, eventing and events being delivered twice. Uh, most of the time, when you when you're uh, consuming events, there's no guarantee that the event will uh, only arrive once. Sometimes messages are delivered more than once, and you should you should uh, design your application uh, to be uh, tolerant of that. So, uh, DynamoDB is the most popular serverless uh, database for uh, AWS serverless developers. Uh, it has methods called put item and update item put item replaces an existing item or it creates one if one doesn't exist already, update item will either uh, update a couple of fields on an item or it will also replace the item. Uh, but there's no such thing as create item. There is no uh, um, uh, version of insert into that says, I'm gonna create a brand new thing absolutely every single time when, when I do this. So DynamoDB is, is sort of leading the way in item potence here. And I think that's significant. I don't think that's uh, that's any kind of coincidence. And now when we're designing your application, think about like if we've implemented a process payment, it's taking a customer ID and an order ID. What happens if this gets called twice? If this function 
it you know it, it creates like a, a payment record or something like that and then that record gets updated a little bit later to paid status and then process payment comes again and it says oh let's let's you know i just i just set that to pending or if it creates a new payment record or something like that is the customer going to get billed twice you have to you have to architect around this and think about is there a way i can design my system such that that function could get called twice with the same arguments and they don't get billed twice because they'll be really bothered by that. There's a couple of tools out there that uh, that that will give you an item potent uh, implementation. Basically, what it's going to do is it's going to hash uh, the function call and it's going to store that somewhere and then it's going to let you know uh, that um, uh, that that has already been executed and it's going to fail it. Um, there's also um, uh, FIFO queues, first in, first out. Uh, they cost a little bit more and they're a little bit more complex. Uh, I would say design for item potence if you can, but if you can't, then then that's a good tool. All right, paper request and scale to zero. So a lot of times, if we're looking at some cloud service or or um, some vendor that we're considering, we might see a screen that looks a little bit like this. Like, oh, look at this! Uh, I can get four uh, virtual CPUs and sixty-four gigabytes, and it's going to cost me nineteen ninety-nine a month, whether I use it or not. Right? Whether I crash it, whether I never touch it again. Serverless developers like to see something a little bit more like this where uh where you're actually paying per request and uh and i think one of the reasons that we like that is because it lets us think about ephemeral environments it lets us think about uh different stages that we can implement it lets us think about build up tear down excuse me experiment and we like that a lot because because it's 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 freeing and it lets us to, uh, you know build the best possible application at the end of the day uh which one of these is cheaper uh, i have no idea <laughs> i don't even know what this is uh it could be that the one on the left is significantly cheaper uh than the one on the right uh, based on our usage pattern and we should probably pick the one on the left in that uh case but i'm just saying that that the serverless mindset is going to tend to prefer the one on the right testing serverless applications uh so serverless applications can make use of all kinds of uh cloud services um, in some cases, we uh, mock or emulate them. Some people uh, think that's a, a, a good thing. Some people think that's not such a good thing. Uh, most people agree that eventually you need, need to, to start testing in, in cloud. I like to have different environments and, and use different accounts so that I can kind of separate things out. Uh, when, we're, when we're doing unit tests, uh, sometimes we'll use mocks, uh, sometimes we'll use emulators, or sometimes we'll connect to real cloud resources. You might have your compute running uh, on your workstation, and you might uh, you know, have, a, 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 have a, a key to a, a dev account that you're actively developing against. I love on-demand environments. Um, asynchronous workflows are really tricky to test. I don't feel like that's a totally solved problem, but there's a few of us. Uh, I did a blog post about that. A couple other people have done some really interesting work in that area, and I think I think we're starting to get that, um, but it's hard so far. What about testing infrastructure? I deployed something, and uh, I want to make sure that that everything connected together well. Now you could test the the secondary aspects of that, but there might be some other things like like for example, I I uh, I, I created an S3 bucket. I might want to test is that public, right? Like that's one of the, the one of the uh, biggest uh, vulnerabilities that people uh, end up um, causing for themselves. So that, that'd be an example of the kind of infrastructure testing you might want to do. Uh, a lot of times when when we're in serverless space, now I showed how uh, we deploy all the infrastructure and the application together. Uh, so a, a lot of times we'll be building CI/CD. Uh, some of the major frameworks have that sort of built in, and uh, thinking about rollbacks and automation. Uh, is is uh, uh, can really take you a long way. Uh, developer experience, um, the kind of what like all these things put together. Uh, the focus is even though I'm really focusing on a lot of things that that might be new to some people. Um, once you kind of get that down, uh, the purpose here is is to 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 move uh, a lot of the undifferentiated heavy lifting into the cloud and then focus on delivering value. And that's what the, what the developer experience is all about. It's like, once you start to get this, once you get into the serverless mindset, then you can really just kind of start to focus on your application. Um, most people in the serverless space have a build ship run mentality, which means that we need to figure out how to support our applications once, once they're out. Uh, there's, there's some new tools that have just come out, Sam Accelerate, CDK Watch, I think, a few other frameworks have things that are a little bit like this that that do cool things where they sort of in a development 
not production ever, but in a development uh, cycle, uh, it lets you short circuit your your deployment and uh, and your code can can very quickly update and and then you can basically be testing in the cloud. Um, uh, a lot of times in in uh, you know I, I think I think this is a little bit of an unsolved problem um, in that the, the the user experience around things like secret manager and parameter store and some of these other things isn't isn't really ideal, but that's that's still the way we want to go. We we don't want to implement our own uh, config and secrets management. We want to take advantage of these cloud services when we do this. Uh, Lambda Power Tools is is a, a a nice cool project that adds to the developer experience and tries to, to promote some best practices. Uh, observability is a big thing in this space because our applications are so distributed, and we need we need to to have a, a really good idea of of what's going, how many you know orders did we process, that kind of thing. And you know, I think um, when people say, "Well, wow, what what this is like." There's, there's so much going on here. How do you how do you have all of this in in one developer? Or, or what about operations? What about you know some of these other traditional roles? And I think that that there's there's still room for everyone. Everyone shifts slightly, uh, and and we all have to sort of be a, a little bit more familiar with the application, or a little bit more familiar with with the the infrastructure. And we develop those T-shaped skills. So like me, for example. I'm not very good with networking. You may have picked up on that when I was talking about uh, the networking stuff and not liking it. Uh, well, I mean, you, you know, like not everyone can be good at everything, and uh, and that's why we form teams. But uh, but I always like to encourage people to you know find the thing that you're good at. You know, be familiar enough with everything else, but but really go for that thing that you're that you're uh, best at. Okay, uh, how to get started in serverless. First of all, use a framework. This is a bunch of frameworks. Uh, I'm sure there are other frameworks that I left off. Uh, they all have great starter kits. They're all really good. They're different in different ways. Uh, one of them, some of them you might not like, some of them you may love. Um, but if you're going to work in serverless, use one of these things. Um, if you have an existing application and you're like, well, I can't just throw this in Lambda, you're probably right about that. Uh, but you can do some really interesting things around the edge of your application. You can, like, if you have some kind of cron process as a great candidate for, for, uh, updating to step functions uh, or, or update some sort of workflow. That's how I got my start and uh, my team got our start. And, uh, and, and once we became more familiar with these things, we started doing, doing more and more interesting things to our application. Uh, you should also be looking for community. Um, there's, uh, uh, I literally joined Twitter because of serverless, because that, that's where everybody was. Uh, and I could start to interact with, with uh, some of the awesome AWS heroes and some of the other people that have uh, some really uh, great ideas there. Uh, I'm going to just shout out to the, my uh, ck.dev uh, people here. Um, there's a great Slack community that's totally open. Uh, if, you, if you're interested in, in CDK, uh, they do non-serverless things there too, so, so be warned. But uh, it's pretty really cool community. And then finally, AWS Community Builders. Um, not a totally open public organization, but uh, like I said, we do do um, uh, 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 open enrollment twice a year. So Matt, quick question yeah. uh, from the audience. So of those frameworks you had on your last slide, is there a framework that you use or recommend personally? So I, I literally do think that these are all good. Uh, like you couldn't really um, go too wrong with, with one of these. I, I use, I've, used, I've used SAM a little bit. Um, I prefer CDK. CDK lets me write my infrastructure. Sorry, I've got another screen in the background. Uh, CDK lets me write my infrastructure in TypeScript. Um, and I like writing in TypeScript. Uh, I like that better than YAML. It sort of fits my mental model a little bit better. Um, so that, that's the one I like. I've been playing with serverless stack a little bit, which is a framework on top of the CDK. And it uh, has some other really cool things, but I haven't done a ton with that. These are all good. So uh, I, I think um, find the one that, that fits your mindset and you will, you will like it. Um, this is this is my last slide, really, though. So I know I know I was rushing to <laughs> try to get through everything. Uh, serverless gets better with time. Uh, that, that's another a thing that uh, serverless community loves about serverless. Um, microsecond billing is an example of that. Uh, Lambda used to bill by the seconds, uh, and then they just cut it over to microsecond billing. So all of your bills now are smaller. It's awesome. Um, so uh, new. Uh, uh, extended processing time and instance sizes in, in uh, Google Cloud Run and AWS Lambda. 
Uh, I mentioned the step functions service integrations. That was a new thing that came out recently. Uh, ARM64 processors dropped last year. Uh, that let us use uh, the, new, the new chip in Lambda, which was really fun. I mentioned event filtering. That was another thing that we got for free. Uh, and and um, these are awesome because uh, if you're using a native service, you're using cloud service, uh, you just eventually start getting these capabilities. You don't have to use them, uh, but, but they become available and you don't have to do some big migration. You don't have to upgrade your, your instance versions or anything like that. They just simply became, become available. All right, thank you. Um, I know I uh, was uh, shooting words at you like crazy. Uh, <laughs> uh, I really appreciate the opportunity to do this on the show. This was really a lot of fun for me. Uh, and uh, I appreciate uh, especially my uh, AWS community builders and all the, all the people that encouraged me to uh, come and do this. So thank you. Hey, thanks very much, Matt. Great job. Uh, you know, and, and hey, for anybody who thought it went by too fast, don't worry. You can just go view this on YouTube in a day or two when we post it up there. Um, and for those of you watching YouTube, uh, you know, we will put a link in the description to Matt's website so you can go view these resources after the fact and rewatch this and click whatever links he puts in there. So thanks again, Matt. Uh, any last... I'm looking for last questions. I don't see any. Just a bunch of thanks. Great presentation, all that kind of stuff. So I think we'll go ahead and wrap it there. Uh, thanks a right. lot. Thank you.